Yo, what up, what up, what up? This is the Lazy Philosophers Podcast, and today I got with us uh, the black, preeminent, intellectual Travis Mann. Working my way up to eminent. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we're all working our way up to eminent, right? Absolutely. Dude, thank you for being on the podcast, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, like, Travis and I met at a mic what, about in March of last year. Yep. Um, I, I was uh, doing 25 sets that week, which was hell. I was riffing all of them and bombing at each one of them. And uh, Travis... I remember. We, we, yeah, we had it. And also, I don't go back to Calorie Cabaret. I won't get into that. Just that I have different Friday joints. Uh, now... <laughs> Ones that make me feel less like uh, wanting to kill myself, but um, that's a good thing. But uh, you know, actually, is it? You know, <laughs> <laughs> no. So our episode right here, we're going to talk about truth, and um, I. We, I messaged Travis to solicit him to come out to my show, as I messaged many people, because uh, uh, promoting a show is all begging. That's what they don't tell you. You got to lose self-respect if you want to make it in that business. Absolutely. Um, and um, he's, you, you said you, you uh, couldn't make it out, but, um, and then we just chatted about your life, and you want to tell him what you've been doing? Absolutely. So for the past year, I've been, uh, I quit my job that I've been working at for about six and a half years. I worked in finance technology and I went on a motorcycle trip for about six six and a half weeks I went up into the upper peninsula in Michigan and then across to Colorado Mm -hmm. uh, doing crazy shit along the way Um, and then after that went back home to my family's business in Michigan we run a hunting preserve and I've been training hunting dogs for like several months yeah. So, guys, I'm never going to Travis Mann's family's place because dogs hate black people. Like that, <laughs> that, that's just uh, that's not a lie. That it, it really isn't. Yeah. No. Well, the thing is, if they haven't been socialized around black people, it, it, they're colorblind, and so it looks like this black amorphous blob yep. is coming towards them. No, I've experienced it. That's why whenever, um, uh, like, <laughs> he actually had uh, one of my Reddit uh, stand-up chats things went to the front page, and it was about um, me on Tinder. And I'm swiping through, and there's this girl's profile, and I said, my dog has to like you for us to hook up. And, <laughs> and I was like, why don't you just say you don't date black guys? And exactly. I'm like, you know, it's like, man. But it, it, back to the thing is, like, um, whenever I heard that, I was just like, wow. You know, like, that's something that, you know, that's like that eat, pray, love level shit. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, you're Absolutely. Love, I mean, who, did you have a James Franco in your life? No. No. I don't. Or... Uh, at the time, did you did you go, walk away from relationships? You said that like th- I had a girlfriend. Okay, I met my girlfriend at improv, so you know our relationship is obviously terrible. Uh, are you guys still together? We are. We're still together. She was in Bali mm. during the time that I was on this trip. So she was really doing the improv. Worked out. She was actually <laughs> doing the improv. No shit. She. Uh, so she was there. I was out on my trip. You know. It was, uh, and then we just came back together. The other thing that I've been doing that's probably important given the fact that we're talking about truth is that I've been studying Buddhism like all day, every day for probably the past six months. And so, I, I think improv, so you're studying improv right before you left, right? Yep. And then you, you go on this motorcycle journey and it, which forces you kind of into the present. I don't, I don't know much about riding motorcycles. 100%. You, but you have to be there. Oh man, there is, so I... I got familiar with meditation before I went, uh, just the practice of focusing on your breath. And that, it sounds so stupid, but you sit down and you realize that you've never truly turned your attention to your breath for more than like three seconds. So you turn your attention to your breath, you kind of experience 
the whole all of the sensations of breathing and stuff and it it really kind of opens up your mind's eye to all of your sensory experience mm. not just with your breathing but with the rest of your body i realized there were parts of my body that were seemingly constantly in pain there were other parts of my body that just felt fine there were other parts of my body that felt good and these were all happening at the same exact time normally we would only focus on like the pain or something we would focus on one thing i started to experience these things on a different level so uh i i did that and then we went on i went on this motorcycle trip and truly there's nothing that rips you into the present like fear of death Mm. in the immediate moment right and that's what's going on whenever you're on a motorcycle and there's any cars around especially in colorado where they drive like shit it was the worst driving i've ever seen in my entire life all those fucking high drivers it was insane they drive like 90 all the time they're getting on the on-ramp and they're going 90 it's incredible. That's insane, and you you you're 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 so aware that what's keeping you connected to this vehicle and your safety is so fragile. Hundred um, percent. Absolutely. I've, I've had a similar experience. Not not so much. I I, I didn't ride bikes much because I was a loser, and I learned how to ride bikes when I was in like sixth grade. <laughs> um, but um, I when I did a lot of hiking in uh, college. And there's nothing like standing at the edge of a cliff. Absolutely. Because you're so aware that this could be, you're right there. You know, one wrong step, one misstep, one. So, and I think it's something that's outside of your locus of control. Absolutely. Because I, I also feel that to an extent whenever I'm at the subway. And like I feel this like huge pulling like pulling me off the, uh, the like you can do it like you know and and then um but i'm like no i'm not gonna kill myself like a peasant yeah like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah trains. i'm going out like a champ i'm gonna take a bunch of pills yeah right like a, like a divorced wife who realizes she doesn't have as many, op- as many options as she thought she did no uh oh, that was dark um so okay we're talking about truth i'm yeah. gonna throw out my first truth okay right Let's do okay it. The reality of this situation, and this is one of the most foundational truths for like all of all living beings on the planet. The reality of the situation is it is always the case that you are almost on the edge of death. Your death is imminent. Mm-hmm. It's coming. Yep. It's it's searching for you every second of every day. You have no idea when it's gonna happen. It could literally happen right now one of us could die and what a podcast that would be dude yeah it would be amazing and so that's kind of you know that's a foundational truth for me right i could die at any time and i try to think about that regularly so that i i decide what i want to do with this exact moment Mm mm-hmm I um I just read Seneca's on the shortness of life. Um, a friend of mine, Brendan Lemon, he has a YouTube channel called Madness Continues. Check him out; he's awesome. He bought the book for me, and I really like Seneca's other work. But on the shortness of life, he says it's not that life is short; it is that we waste so much of it. Oh, so much! And an incredible amount. An incredible amount of time. Absolutely, and so that's one of the other things I kind of realized, you know, as I was riding across the United States, there was very little time to waste for me to get to the places that I needed to go um, and I always had to be very vigilant about thinking about all of my resources and so on and so forth and people don't people don't do that on a regular basis right they get into a rut they kind of do the same thing over and over 
it's Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins says that, you know, whenever people come to him and say that they failed because they didn't have this or they didn't have that, it wasn't due to a lack of resources. It was due to a lack of resourcefulness. Mm. And a lack of resourcefulness, mm. I think, directly stems from kind of ignoring your life. Just wandering through, kind of, you know, wasting time, doing... It's not even the wasted time like watching television or something like that. There's so much wasted time in the moments in between where we're just lost in thought and we don't even realize it. And then all of a sudden we snap too. And it's like, well, what was I just thinking about? You know, shit, I'm on the bus. I just yeah. missed my stop, so on and so forth. That's, that's wasted time because you weren't paying attention. Yeah, you weren't even there. You weren't. And it's even like the quality of thoughts that a lot of people have. They just get taught in these thought cycles of problems they can't figure out. Um, people are in dict- um I, I recorded an episode where we talked about anxiety. And um, my friend said he's, he, he, he's an engineering major. And this might be the case for you as well. You're a very smart guy. I think very smart people constantly looking to solve problems. Because that's what the neocortical cortex is for, right? Yep. It's to solve problems. And to the whole world, uh, to a hammer, the whole world is nails. And to a uh, very intelligent person, the whole world's filled with problems. Yep. And you're thinking about problems that can't be solved, especially in the social construct, um, context, right? Does so-and-so like me? Something that's kind of unprovable. And so you go off on this long thought, which never really has any kind of um, validating conclusion. Um, and you just feel like you've wasted that time, but also attacks your self-esteem. And I think the thing is, is that what reflects a lot of lack of confidence in people sometimes is that they search for meaning in the wrong things. I think the human experience is to constantly look for meaning, right? We're looking for meaning, right? But we're also like what things mean in relation to us. And some things won't tell us about ourselves. Just some, whether or not like uh, a girl likes you isn't going to tell you about yourself, right? That's it. And it's, it's very difficult to get out of that matrix, right? Or how about this, that respect or, or um, a lot of these things don't actually exist. Like, like something, do they like me? It doesn't actually exist, dude. It, like, and when you get at that, like what you're thinking about is a, something that doesn't even, it's not even tangible. Yeah, you're talking about, you, you talk about it in your mind as if it's a state of mm. liking you. When really, it's this like constant flux and 99.9999% of the time, that person is not thinking about you, Yep. right? And so you're saying, if I am in this person's presence and I am in their thoughts, are they positive about mm-hmm. me, right? And really, that's gonna be different depending on the context, it's gonna be different depending on you know, what your actions are. Yep. And so you're better off instead of ruminating about things like that that are these intangibles right and that are not constant states and not binary either right because it's a spectrum of how people feel about you uh you're better off just like focusing on your own behavior and how that affects people right so you said you mentioned something about like ruminating on uh problems that you couldn't solve right so in my life, I, I spent like the majority of my life just kind of with this underlying sensation that something was wrong, okay? A lot of that was externalized. People, they, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was a kid, for example, right? People told me my behavior was wrong, right? But I, I felt constricted in the social constructs that I was placed in, like school, uh, 
in other social situations. I felt very constricted. And I, uh, I always felt like there was something wrong with it, right? And so I spent the majority of my uh, life up until I was 28 years old ruminating on what was wrong with me. Mm. Thinking, why can't I seem to change to fit the situations that I find myself in? Okay? And really, it took like a break, like a mental break. And when I say break, I don't mean like a pause. I mean like a cracking, right? For me to kind of see that a lot of the friction that I was experiencing was from other people's problems that they had with me and not problems that I had, right? They were out of control with their own emotions and their own experiences. And so the things that I did, they took their interpretations to be truth. Mm. Their interpretations of the things that I did. I'm not a simple guy. I'm fairly complex in my motivations and the reasons why I do things. And oftentimes they kind of just took their gut reaction of what I was trying to get at and they took their interpretations as truth and they said, you're wrong. Yep. Right. And I finally realized how can they know at all? All they know is their interpretation of the situation and the fact that they find it unpleasant and they look at, well, why do I feel this way? And most people say, I feel this way because of all of these external things. Yep. This person did this thing to me. Uh, I found myself in this situation and that makes me unhappy. And they start blaming everything that's outside, right? They don't look inside to say, why do I have this interpretation of this situation as being unpleasant? Is it real? Is that real? Is yeah. that truth? Well, um, I've had an amazing experience with that. When I was living in Kuala Lumpur, um, I had a cousin of mine. I was telling her like how I was uh, the perfect catch for any girl. And... She she said, uh, that cocky behavior won't do you well in the business world. I was like, you haven't seen me in a professional context. She's like, that's because you don't have a job. And it made me so upset. It hurt me. And I like I like walked I walked away, right? I went to my room and I started pacing back and forth. I'm like, why does this make me so mad? Why does this make me so mad? It's because it's true. And then and then why does it make you why why is it the fact that this is true making you feel bad? Well, because it's something that I feel insecure about right now and I'm working to do that and I, I feel like it's maliciously loaded. And it's like, is there any way that you could have made this into a constructive narrative? So eventually she's very successful. I had her help me out with my resume and I got a bunch of interviews out of it, right? Yep. But I got to the root of it which was actually, I felt very insecure and I felt like I had no sense of purpose at the time. And she touched on that. She touched on that exact nerve. And rather than just saying like, I can't believe she said that thing, like, which honestly was kind of fucked up. Like, like, yeah. but, but the thing is she said it and it hurt, but I looked at why it hurt. Because anger, at, behind every emotion is another emotion. I agree. And, and the other emotion is actually the one where the, there's actually a narrative, yeah. right? right? Where I think the surface layer emotion is a scene the the um the back uh what's behind it's the story yeah of what's going on i like that yeah i like that a lot you know and what's 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 the other problem that i felt in the world it wasn't just that other people were like blaming me it was the fact that we as a society don't have a very good method of training people to understand their own thoughts and emotions. Mm -hmm. we, we fail people on that front. And we see the results of it every day, yep. right? In 
things like that, right? And so like throughout my whole life, I was never trained to introspect, mm -hmm. right? People take that for granted that that's just something that humans do. They do do it, but do they do it well? Yep. I don't think so. I think that you need to practice. Oh, yeah. You have to spend time looking inside and really getting the different perspectives within yourself of the things that you're experiencing. Exactly. Uh, one of the things you, you said, you, my example is kind of light, right? There are people who have murdered people, murdered people, stabbed people, raped people, stolen from people because they don't understand what's going on internally Absolutely. and they don't have this kind of literacy with themselves this transparency it's a nebulous thing and i think a lot of times people don't even have the vocabulary for it 100 um i i use this example time and time again when people ask me will like you know how, how do i go about becoming smarter and i'm like actually just get a list of words and read them and under, and about something you're interested in because the ability i think being intelligent is the ability to think with precision and a lot of people can't think precisely about themselves because they don't have the word to label it. Yep. And a lot of times we can't entertain a concept unless we have a word. 100%. You know, language is, I, I say this often, language is an incredibly ineffective medium for communicating experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's super dangerous, very much so. Uh, and it also doesn't, it's not effective, right? It can be, but oftentimes when is it effective? It's most of the time effective when the other person has shared that experience with you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like you talk to a hundred people about a book that you read and you say, I love this book. And you say, why? Well, it really resonated with me. And another person says, I hate this book. Why? You know, it just didn't, didn't resonate with me. How can the same exact book, right, not affect people in the same way? It's because this language doesn't effectively communicate experience, right? Yeah. And definitely having more words is useful. Uh, but the other thing is, is just examining your experience is also very necessary. Yes, you need to have the tools to describe it. Mm -hmm. But if you don't give it the proper amount of attention, then you're not going to do it justice either, mm -hmm. right? You need to kind of take an experience, roll it around in your head, look at it from different angles, think about how you felt, uh, and very useful things, you know, the body and emotion are tied. They're inextricably linked. Yeah. When you experience anger, for example, you feel a tightness mm -hmm. in the body, right? You feel uh, sadness, you might feel heavy, things of that nature. So getting in touch with the direct sensory experience of emotions is another thing that can kind of help you effectively communicate what you're feeling. And if we get down to it, a lot of the issues that we have in society are due to misunderstanding of how people are feeling. Yes. Right? Um, Alan de Baton, he talks about this, is that um, we need to treat our lovers like children. He said, because we're actually just children playing the roles of adults. And, and when you, you're in a relationship with someone, especially marriage, you're with them so often and so long that you, you give excuses to a child you won't let an adult have. Oh, he's upset because he's hungry. Oh, it's because he's stressed out at the thing. And, even, and I, I understand that at a certain point, you know, you, you can't like be a person's emotional punching bag. But also you have to... You have to also understand that we, 
we're ruled by our feelings and then we use our thoughts to back them up oh. and um, I, I do like what you said because it, it, the reflection needs to happen I used to keep a diary and I need to get back to doing this but like writing down just like going through I used to not even just attach any narrative to it I just wrote down what happened and I'll tell you there is something so powerful about looking back at what had happened just a few months early I mean almost pushing me to tears the mundane and it You'll never be able to pay enough money to find out what you felt that day. And the thing is, is our memories, enjoy them while they last because they're not going to be here forever. Yeah. And I, I, I also think that when you, you, you talked about this um, relationship with the body and there's a guy I follow on Elliot Hulse on YouTube. He's a big proponent of the body is the mind. It's just uh, there's there, there just one yep. thing, and the, we we neglect it a lot in society. And so he's he's a huge proponent of what he calls um uh like body meditation, where he you go out and like and you just dance out and tribal chant because like and break the rigid walking patterns and everything like this because we're not actually supposed to just move like this all the time yeah. and things like that. And I'm gonna tell you, it is one of the biggest release you can have as a human being and you shake off all this pain and sometimes you just start crying and the thing is we're always trying to judge it it's like wait what does this mean if i'm crying does that mean i'm a little bitch does that mean i'm not a man does that mean i'm not and it's it's like stop trying to editorialize the experience while it's going on yeah i tell people this um and I'm working on material about it. It's like, you can't be self-confident and self-aware at the exact same time. Like the, because when you're super self-confident, you're not taking in everything around you, right? Yeah. You're just in it, you're doing, you're, you're in the moment. And I think it's important to do that. I, I think it's important to not think about how you're being perceived while you're interacting with someone. Yeah. But I do think it's important that afterwards you think about, what did I do that I liked about in that conversation? Yeah. What did I do that I didn't? Because if you really just analyze every conversation you have and write down the things you liked, things you didn't like, things that were awkward, things that could have been better, you know how much of an amazing conversationalist you'll be in a, just a, two months, three yep. months? Absolutely. You know, I think that... So I'm reading a book right now. It's called Search Inside Yourself. It's by this Google engineer who uh, got into meditation and stuff. And also, he's very interested in emotional intelligence. Okay, so you talked about self-awareness and then self-confidence. You can't be both self-aware and confident at the same exact time. So they talk about it as, and like when I say they, I'm saying this Google engineer, I think is, I'm not going to say his name because I'm going to butcher it. Is he Indian? He's, no, he's Chinese. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I was about to take mad credit. <laughs> <laughs> You guys still have zero. Hey, you, know, you invented zero. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I thought the Arabs invented zero. <laughs> nah, you did too. No, that's It was that. double. And yeah. he, he, you studied math at Northwestern. So. Yeah, multiple, multiple societies discovered zero. So yeah, That's cool, man. But uh, what they say is this, is that uh, it starts off with, that the road to self-confidence starts off with emotional awareness. Okay? So you pay attention to what's going on inside of your mind. Emotional awareness and and inside your body because like we just established those things are inextricably tied together Emotional awareness then leads you to be able to carry out accurate self-assessment Accurate self-assessment is where you look at yourself and you say These are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. These are you know potential downfalls for me These are potential opportunities you do like a SWOT analysis mm. on your own uh, on yourself right once you have all of that, you can have confidence 
in certain scenarios. And in the scenarios that you don't have as much confidence in, you can create contingency plans for how you're going to behave. And that allows you to then have confidence in those scenarios as well, right? So they, he obviously relates it to software development, right? When, and I've worked in software development for like the past seven years. When you're working on a system, you're looking at uh, all of the ways that you know that it'll go well and that you can have confidence in. And then you wanna find all the ways that where the potential weaknesses are. And once you have that, then you can develop contingency plans. You can't make everything perfect. Mm -mm. You can't do that with yourself either. No. And so if you really have this accurate self-assessment with yourself, and that's, that's difficult, yeah. okay? Because when you look at yourself and you say, not I am weak, but this is a weakness. Deficiency, yeah. This is a deficiency, right? And you have to decide, do I try to improve on that or do I develop a contingency plan for it? Yeah. Right? And that can lead you then to have this sort of confidence overall in your ability to deal with situations. Definitely. So um, I've done that with um, kind of uh, internally. So I, um, my nickname used to be ugly in high school and uh, to an effect, like it's, it's, like it's part of the reason why I, I work out and have like a really chiseled body and things like that. It's like, but you know, you, you're never, you're never going to catch it. Our, our entire advertising system is meant to keep us perpetually dissatisfied with our external appearance. And yeah. it's not just women. It's not just men. It's human. Yeah. Right. Um, because people can profit off of that. And I, I thank God I love consumerism. As I've said many times before, it's the reason why we can have this conversation, clean water, education, all byproducts of surplus and people trying to fill their voids. Um, but it has unintended consequences. And one of the things that I do is I make fun of myself a lot. And I'm not just talking about on stage. I look at myself and I, 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 I pick myself apart because I think in humor, you complicitly accept, you, you, your laugh is you being complicit and being like, oh yeah, it's fine, you know? And I think entertaining those things, things that you can never change about yourself and just laughing about them with yourself and realizing not to take yourself so seriously because death is searching for us as you would, as yes. you said earlier and um, that really it doesn't matter and that it really if you weren't part of this massive social game you wouldn't care yeah. um, and so if you're able to laugh at it um, or exaggerate it or think about all the negative things that someone could say one of my ways of dealing so I did the TED talk uh, this past weekend and uh, one of my ancillary points in there was the way I dealt with some of the shame that was associated with promoting a show and being in law school and saying I want to be a famous comedian like I assumed that everyone was talking shit about me which like most people say assume positive no, no one cares or assume positive or no, no one talks no people talk but my mom loves me more than anybody in this world she talks shit about me and like it's, it's, it's okay because do, it doesn't come from a negative place yep. the thing is you said uh, um, you brought this up earlier and I thought it was very nuanced is you don't have a single singular um, intention in, in honestly in almost anything that you do yep. so when someone it doesn't even mean that they don't like you they're looking for something to talk it's weird whatever and so and, and you just commit to that you're like oh if they say all these things does that mean anything about myself no does people's belief make it anything about myself no millions of kids believe in santa claus does that make santa claus real no not at all and um and i think when you get in touch with that and you stop taking yourself so seriously in this game and demand being taken seriously like um the name of the talk is called someone's going to laugh when you die and basically the more successful we become the larger the target on our back for people to laugh yeah and so the more seriously you take your life the less seriously other people take you yep. and and it's okay if you if you can just laugh about it and um there's a big um there's a bit there's a nirvana in that 100 percent, man i think that so i'm reading the book of joy right now mm -hmm. i'm reading like 
oh, five yeah. books right now because I don't have a job. Yeah, mine so come do. Yeah, all I do is <laughs> all I do is read, uh, and so I'm reading the Book of Joy, and one of the main things that's emphasized throughout that book it's by the Dalai Lama and De- well, it's by some fucking guy who got to interview the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. I saw that the other day yeah. on Instagram yep. um, ad. And they, you know, those guys are, they're real jokesters. Mm. They love, like, messing around and stuff. One time somebody, this is hilarious, one time somebody left uh, uh, Groucho Marx glasses, you know, with the big nose and the eyebrows, yeah. in the Dalai Lama's room just to see what he would do. And he's like a foreign dignitary, right? Mm. He's he's a head of state. Yeah. He's a religious uh, religious leader, and he comes into like this press conference wearing Groucho Marx ah. glasses, and just like everybody busts out laughing, right? He believes that humor is a super important component to actually experiencing joy. Which kind of brings me to a thing that I want to talk about, right? Mm. Because I know that you and I have different ideas about what, you know, what leads to happiness. And I think that that kind of ties to our uh, our theme today of truth. Yeah. Right. There's. Can we get at some truth about what makes people happy? So mm. I study a lot. I read a lot of like positive psychology studies. Uh, like actual academic papers so that I'm not getting, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell treatment of it. Yeah. Trying to actually get at the information. And they but started it, it, to... Amazing yeah. pros, though, by the way. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, yeah. certainly. <laughs> yeah. I'm not dishing out his pros at all. Right? His treatment of facts are a little bit yeah. loosey-goosey. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, he's a really good writer. But... Uh, People people love that, right? Mm. People don't want to hear like about probabilities and you know statistics and so on and so forth because it doesn't give it doesn't feel like truth, mm. right? It feels soft. It feels I, too gooey. It runs through their fingers. I've been having so many conversations about this recently. Actually, yesterday we were talking about the difference between Hillary Clinton, wh- whatever you want to say, she ran, ran an honest campaign. She lied less than any other can- candidate yeah. for the election. But what she said didn't feel true. Didn't. And with Donald Trump, although he lied more than any other candidate, even even if you're liberal, there were parts where you, he's saying stuff and you, it feels true. Absolutely. And 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 that is scary. It is. Um, but yeah, to continue about talking about success in your positive side. Yeah. So like you know, they're they're starting to use science to really try to get at some fundamental truth about what truly makes us happy, right? Now, I, I think that, okay, I've come to a point where in my studies of Buddhism and stuff, I agree, I agree with the fact that uh, Buddhism says that life is hard and that life is never going to stop being hard no matter what you do, no matter what sort of sense pleasure you gain, none of that. It's always going to be, it's always going to disappoint you, okay? That's this truth of what they call dukkha. Dukkha is like the thing in Buddhism, right? Life is ultimately unsatisfactory because every experience that you have passes away. Every physical thing in this world passes away, right? So, and just talking about that point, I kind of first came to this sort of realization in kind of like a, you know, mystical like moment on the motorcycle 
Mm. Okay. So I had just left Minnesota, and there was a heat wave sweeping across the United States. It was going to be 110 for days. Okay. And I was riding through South Dakota next. Mm. And that is not the place that you want to be clad in black leather no. riding in 110 degree heat. So I looked, my goal was the Badlands. I wanted to see the Badlands so badly. Hmm. And <laughs> I, I looked at the weather and I saw it's going to be 86 tomorrow in the Badlands. I have to leave now. So I hopped on my bike. And Zach Bartz, who runs a show here in Chicago called Shithole, mm-hmm. uh, he helps run it with these other guys, Dan Wilcop and uh, and uh, forget the other guy's name. Toby. Ken- no, Kevin. 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 Uh, can't remember his last name, but he's a cool guy. So uh, he recommended that I read Siddhartha by Herman mm-hmm. Hess. Okay, so I had Bluetooth headphones in my helmet, threw it up on there. So I'm starting to ride, and a, th- a thunderstorm rolls in. Oh, my God. And I, I had to keep going. I couldn't stop because I had a full day of riding, or else I wasn't going to be able to make it to the Badlands when the weather was favorable. So I'm riding. I'm listening to Siddhartha, which is a story about uh, an Indian, uh, like an Indian mystic who follows his own path, and it leads him to some profound spiritual truths for himself, right? And namely that acceptance is the route to happiness, okay? Very Buddhist. Acceptance of whatever is, is the route to happiness, not striving, which is my own personal philosophy right now, and that's what we're going to talk about in a second after I finish this diatribe. So I'm riding on my motorcycle three hours in the rain, then it hit, turns to 110 degree weather as I'm riding through South Dakota, right? Then the winds start blowing across mm. the prairies. It's like 35 mile per hour. Oh, winds. It was grueling, okay? But what happened was an incredible presence of mind because I was fully present. I was fully engrossed in that moment, right? I looked around at the prairies and I saw all these farms, and suddenly I realized that this land had once been occupied by the Native Americans. Yeah. And it was through genocide that all of this land had been taken from them. And their world, their world is gone. Yeah. It's over. Right? All the things that they held true and dear are gone. They've passed away. Right? You can't say that the reservations now are like even a... They're a shadow of what the Native Americans' life once was in the United States. Mm-hmm. Right? We came stole all of their land and I thought about it and I was like it's all these farms I thought how how much arable land how much farmable land is left that has not been discovered on the planet I thought almost none right and I thought and people aren't going to stop fucking Mm-mm. that's never going to happen no. right and, and as long as people are fucking people are going to be having kids right Unless, unless you get an effective form of birth control, which obviously the Republicans are going to torpedo. Ah. <laughs> so people are going to keep growing. The population is going to keep growing. What happens when people don't have enough space anymore? Okay? And what happens when we can't produce enough food? 
So I started, I, I thought about this on the motorcycle. I looked it up later, right? The answer is the estimates are 11 billion people are is how much we can feed. And that's going to happen in the year 2100. Well, so th- there's actually um, a lot of evidence showing that the Malthusian model is actually dated. Because if you look at a lot of like um, developed societies, yeah. that they make the movement from having lots of kids to having less kids. And so when the, the population is explosions in Nigeria and India will probably subside and in China, like they're probably gonna go down as society becomes more developed and um, um, there was more cash flow. I would say possibly, exactly. I would say possibly, but then, you know, and also people and- are still, I think that there's still going to be a large enough portion of the population that really wants to have kids, right? And have the economic means to do so. Yeah. Right? But regardless yeah. of that, the place that this took my mind was even if that doesn't happen, right? This world's going to end. Yeah, AI God. This world yeah. is going to end. It's going to end at some point, right? And humanity is going to end at some point. And suddenly. It was like a huge it was like a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders and this kind of moral imperative to save the planet and the idea that like we were traveling towards some ends completely disappeared in my mind. And I knew what the end was. The end is death. Mm-hmm. The end is the complete and total destruction of the universe. Yeah. Right? I think we can agree yeah, we, that that's mathematically highly, certain. Yeah mathematically certain and so what matters then is just the path the path that we take to get towards the end right because that's that's all that reality really is there's no saving ourselves there's no saving the planet there's none of that stuff and so this moral imperative kind of just like just dissipated within my mind right so bringing this all back to what uh, I was talking about before That led to a profound level of acceptance of whatever was, right? And it it was a crazy mystical experience. And I take that now to be the key to happiness. And I know that you disagree. And I want to kind of talk about, you know. So I think happiness is all about the weights that you apply to things, right? And I think, so, so for me, yeah, I, I, I have the same... My, my thing is I think AI is going to destroy life on this planet. We're a massive conduit for AI, whatever. Yep. Um, but the thing is, is like I don't look at life as a game to be won. So I, I, I understand that everything that I love is going to go away. Yep. Um, and um, that there is no real point to anything. Um, and so in that freedom, I, I looked for a way to, I've looked for a way to derive my own meaning. And through this is just this this narrative that I've constructed for this identity that I have and that I want to enjoy life and have a life of freedom, um, which is given which has access to me. And um, for me, I pull a lot of my my um, my insights from the Bhagavad Gita, right, Uh, where I think about um, there's a point where I want to say Shiva, uh, but I, I don't know for sure. Where he he basically um, Brahman was like, you're not guaranteed the fruits of your labor. You're only guaranteed the labor, and you need to learn how to give 100% of your intent, but be free from outcome. And in that, that's been my journey. 
Like people would talk to me all the time and they're like, Will, what happens if it doesn't end up working out? You don't end up being super famous and all these other things. I'm like, dude, I don't give a fuck, dude. Like, you know how dope my life has been? Since I've found something to chase with the most alacrity I've ever found a reason to chase anything, I have been gifted with talking to wonderful people, starting my own podcast, moving people. So the experience itself is my reward. And, and the, 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 the finish line... Yeah, I, I would be lying if I was like, uh, you know, I, I do have goals and ambitions, but I'm in a also continual state of acceptance, right? Um, I also know that who I am is resilient and that, you know, five years ago, that none of these dreams were my dreams. And five years from now, none of these dreams could be my dreams. But right now, they're very important to me. And from the day to day, they're sculpting my life in a very real way. And I think, in a sense, I don't commit to a plot or plan. I'm committing to a character. And in that character, my character is right now is I'm trying to be someone who is an extremely effective communicator through multiple mediums, whether it's through podcasting, YouTube, uh, writing, and uh, and stand-up. But I also want to be a monologuist. I want to be, I, I've written screen plays and novels I want to just do this and if I continue to engage this and try to get my get my information out there in the right way I'll continue to meet cool people and continue to be engaged with life so my thing is is I think engagement with life met with reflection is the key and um, having weights in life that aren't centered around other people's values or society's values because I think society's templates cast a lot of people in the wrong way I think much like a, like a computer um, you need to get under the hardware and you need to set the templates and levels for yourself. I know that everyone I love is gonna die, so I call my mom and friends constantly, and I tell them I love them, you know? And I treat it as such, and I know that everything with the backdrop of death becomes more valuable. And so, in it, I'm just kind of just thankful for the, I'm thankful for annihilation, um, because without it, I wouldn't do anything. Yeah. So do you think that, like, the, I love this, I've turned it into interviewing you now. <laughs> so, uh, do you think that like the, the happiness that you derive out of this, right? I heard, I heard a lot of things, right? It sounds to me as if you have like a level of acceptance where, uh, your, um, your emotion about an activity is not dependent on the outcome. It's dependent on the, uh, the action of actually doing it. Right. Yeah. So like doing this podcast, for yeah. example, is better than whether or not it comes out to be an awesome podcast and gets you exactly. a million followers. Yeah. Right. It, well, and the thing is, is, and I think this is something that I learned in promoting a show in that if you think about every flyer you hang out, whether or not that person's going to ha- come, you'll never flyer enough people. Yeah. <laughs> you, basically, you just got to be like, hey, I'm handing out flyers to people. I'm just going to enjoy doing this. Yeah. You know, um, I, I'm basically, we're doing magic right now. <laughs> And I just get really obsessed with the processes. Like, um, I'm very excited that I live in this time where I can just record podcasts on my phone. Yeah. And um, I, I am very, I have a very um, sterile view of the future. Um, everybody calls me, I look, I look at life like an economist. I read a lot of economists, there's a behavioral economist, but economists um, where I'm like, okay, consequentialism, like how much cost of weight benefit, blah, blah. But that's all in the long term. In the day to day, I'm very romantic. I. Okay. Treasure these small things. I when I'm reading a book, I'm like, this is fucking magic. This this dude thought Aristotle three thousand years ago talking in my head. Like that's crazy to me. It's insane. The, and the thing is, what I I hate is um, because it becomes normalized, we can't treat it as if it's a gift. Yeah. And that, so to me, I'm always just that. And whenever I'm not gonna say like the thing that still hurts me is whenever I bomb. Um, because I you know I have ego in it. I want to. 
I want other people to think I'm universally good, but I remember having the realization that there are comedians who are vastly successful, killed tons of times, when crowds way bigger than I could have ever, and I still don't think they're funny. So who am, whose approval am I trying to get? Yeah, yeah. dude, I do not, I, I don't know if this is gonna be a controversial opinion, but I do not enjoy Kevin Hart's comedy. Yeah, dude, oh, dude, me neither. Yeah. I, I, and, and you know what, it, this is the thing, is his comedy is not for you. Yeah. It's not for it's me. Not. And um, the thing about it, like a lot of people are talking about this outrage culture with comedy. It's just because comedy has been able to get, increase the amount of people it has access to. Yep. And in that, there are going to be more people who love comedy that would never would have loved it and more people who hate your comedy that would have never loved it. 100%. Because before, you could go to a comedy club and it's a bunch of people who are ready to be offended. But now, you know, it's put on Netflix, it's all these other things, and which is really great because the circulation of ideas, but it's also gonna lead to more of a brash response. My comedy, dark, nihilistic, existential, part of the reason why I'm not gonna get booked for an Indian night. That's part of the reason I'm not gonna get booked for a black night, and that's okay. And that's why I have the podcast and everything like that. But in the end, it's about the journey and reflecting on it and letting it mean something. Do you think that that is like a foundational truth that we can rest our lives upon? That like the, the journey is uh, where we should derive our happiness from. I think people's minds are built in different ways. Yeah. And there's some people who, I think there's some people who really like to win. And they like, and they do certain professions where they need to win and they organize their life in a similar capacity. I don't think they'll find the joy that I have, but I don't think I'll be as successful as they will be. That's, and I think it's just a big trade-off. Yep. Um, I... I, are there sacrifices that you, everything happens with? Yeah, but in the sense it makes things mean more. Um, I don't, I really, I think really beyond being very engaged with your life and playing a game and really kind of disengaging from other games, I really don't think there's, there's much other you can do. I think a lot of it's internal hacking and really it's the simple shit, like working out. Like, yeah. like, like meditating, like people are like, oh yeah, of course, yeah, I, I know I need to meditate more. I'm going to tell you the, um, I, I've had experiences and I won't get into details, um, but very mystical experiences and also very like, uh, very carnal, like, uh, like a Bracken, Bacchanalian, like, and one of the things that's different is the Bacchanalian, like the, 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 the lustful kind of, this thing that drives it is it can always get better. Like it can always just this one thing it's gonna be better. And um, when I'm in a really good form of meditation, I do the Wim Hof method, which um, w- the bliss I get from that, even at the en- at the end of the 15 minutes or so, is I have no wants. I li- I literally have no wants. I have I don't want it to stay longer. I don't want. I'm not thinking about when it's gonna end. I'm just. And what do you think drives that? I have my own ideas. I'll share them after yours. But oh, with the Wim Hof method, um, biologically the oxygen surplus. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, yep. I, the I, I think it's just the style of breathing and the technique, yep. and it basically increases the oxygen flow to your brain so much that you're just overwhelmed in this kind of euphoric sense. But since it's not like from a drug or from somebody like some, we can use people as drugs or even artistic outlets as drugs. Yep. Um, that I'm not worried about it running out. Got it. Yep. So in my mind, and this is something that I think, I take this as truth, right? Universal truth for most people. And that is that if you can renounce something and come to a place of acceptance of not having it, mm-hmm. then that will increase, that will directly increase your happiness. Yeah. One, like, 
two for one, two happiness for one, you know, pain renouncing. I, uh, and so in my mind, all of these meditation methods are pathways to renunciation. So like the Winhoff method, you know, I'm assuming it's some sort of like uh, breathing exercise based on what you said about like the accessibility of oxygen to your brain. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're focusing on one thing so that you can let go of everything else, mm-hmm. right? And it definitely has a chemical effect on your brain just based on the oxygen levels. But the other, this is the thing that I don't know the neuroscience behind. And it's the reason why concentration leads to uh, acceptance, which is very interesting to mm-hmm. me. It's a, it's a phenomena that has been widely documented Really? Yeah, absolutely. So when you concentrate on something, it leads to a heightened ability to investigate that thing. As you investigate whatever your object is, you uh, gain awareness of all the different facets of that thing. As you gain awareness, the mind's tendency is to let go and accept Accept whatever it is that you're looking at. So we talked earlier about like sitting with tough emotions and seeing the emotions that are behind the you know front emotion, and uh, I think that really it's that level of concentration that you develop that leads you to the awareness of your emotions, that leads to acceptance of what is, that allows you to experience happiness. Mm-hmm. That's kind of through all of my study and you know the renunciation that I did on my trip, uh, there's a huge amount of renunciation. I remember I had my mom and my aunt come to Chicago and I took all of the shit that I had amassed throughout my seven years in Chicago uh, doing like, I was working in finance, I had plenty of money, I could do whatever I wanted and I amassed a decent amount of shit. We load it all into a van except for that which I was going to put onto my motorcycle. And they just drove off and I told my mom, if it doesn't have Japanese writing on it or musical notes or is not related to Japanese or music, I want you to sell it. Because they were having a garage sale. I didn't just, you know, <laughs> pawn off my eBay shit on my mom. Uh, and I had never felt a release like that in my entire life. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely amazing that I was now mobile. Mm-hmm. I could I could walk away and take everything that I owned with me. And I'm still living like that right now. I'm living on people's couches in Chicago while I look for jobs and shit. And and it's an amazing freedom and that came from renunciation. When I went out and uh I had a tent I renounced uh, the need for like shelter basically I carried my shelter with me and I was fine sleeping on the ground I had a camp stove right I couldn't eat whatever I wanted it just wasn't possible but there was a freedom in that and you know there was this profound acceptance with whatever was all I had was rice and dehydrated vegetables and like chicken broth and and that's what I ate for like days on end. And it, it was great. It was amazing. It felt good. And that's not the sort of thing that you can walk up to somebody in Chicago and say, hey, you want to uh, sleep on the ground and eat nothing but rice and dehydrated vegetables? You think that'll make you happy? You think that'll make you feel good? And the answer is 
almost universally going to be no yeah. from people. But they've never explored it. No. And so they don't know. And I did. And it was, it was incredible. I, I really resonate with that. So when I moved to New York, um, all, the, all the furniture you see in here is, I've already discussed it with my friends, I'm throwing away, even the bed, I'm just using yep. the air mattress. Um, partially because I don't want to spend any more time in my place than I have to. I'm not moving to a city like New York to be at home. Um, I'm getting rid of almost all my clothes. I already have a lot of them bagged up. I wear a uniform, basically. Um, and the first place I realized that, and um, some of you OG listeners might know this story, is um, whenever I was in college, I got my license suspended. I was speeding all the time, and I drove a luxury car. And... Um, my mom was like, all right, well, we got to take your car because um, we, don't, we don't want you just having your temptation around there. We don't – and I'm, I freak out. I'm like, you know, and, and she eventually uh, – she was like, what's going on? I'm like – and I say this. What girl's going to like me without my car? Yeah. And I say it out loud. And when I say it out loud, there's something – it's like whenever you say – whenever you're feeling jealous with your, your girlfriend, like, might have flirted with your friend or whatever, and you're just irritated with her. She's like, what's wrong? And then you finally – well, you know, you kind of touched his elbow, and it sounds completely ridiculous. Yep. And at that moment – the reason you didn't want to say it out loud because then you'd have to face it. It's in the public forum, and you're like, that's fucking retarded. <laughs> yeah. And um, I was like, take the car. And then after that, I gave um, that luxury car to my younger sister. And I, now I don't have a car. My parents are like, do you want a car, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't care. Um, I've stayed at this uh, apartment. I'm, I live in a very nice place. But like, what I've realized is one of the virtues, uh, uh, one of the benefits of having experiences like this young is I, I realized that um, as nice as they've been, they don't make me happy. Yeah. Um, and... Um, uh, I'm not saying that this is the, this is a vow against opulence. I I don't see me staying in anything more than a studio until I get married, and then I'll probably stay in a very small place. My mother, um, she grew up in a house where there were there was ten of them in a one bedroom house, and the uh, joys she expresses about that house are, are don't, don't don't make sense. Yeah. But there's something we have fooled ourselves into believing that we love being alone. Um, and I think there is time to be alone, but I think you were there, uh, being alone was always a, they could there was always a time where they could have been yeah. gone outside, talked the dogs for a walk, gone for a walk. Um, I I think that the smaller our living, minimalism is becoming a huge culture, um, and it, it's rising. And and I think the more people realize that real let go, you know, you don't need it. And what the thing is is we spread our identity to all those things. Yeah. All right. No, well, that's me. That's me. That's me. You know, my my labels are me, and it's like it's not you, bro. And um, one of the cool things was all the girls who I really liked in college, really liked, like, none of them gave a fuck about my car. Yep. All the girls, I was like, yeah, oh, she's kind of cute. Oh my god, you have this car. Yeah. And I, but I didn't, I didn't feel that connection with them. They all cared. You've seen those YouTube videos where they get some like you know just average dude driving a Lamborghini like trying to pick up girls in the park and then they have him walk to a Volkswagen yeah. and the girls just bail. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It, and, and it's because um, it's uh, it's status, it's all these other things. And like this is the thing is, is we're all, like I'm, I want to end up with a beautiful girl. Um, not I'm, The thing is for me is beautiful to a degree then it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah um, and I think what largely is this and I, I think something that a lot of people don't talk about and this goes back to our discussion about happiness is you need to know your weights. You need to know what means something to you. Um, one of the reasons why I'm choosing a stand-up career and, and a, a career largely in communication and reaching people is because I thought about if I wanted to, I'm in law school, I'm gonna graduate, I'm gonna take the bar exam, but I thought about if I if I take my career to the absolute zenith of being a lawyer, like let me the the, the working as a managing director at Scadden, right? Would I be happy? Fuck no. I want to be famous. And I, this is where we, and, and, and like, a lot, and yeah. this, I, there is a big part of me that does want celebrity in some sense, but I also want 
it not there there is a, a narcissistic component and i'm able i'm like the thing is i'm able to admit it it's like it's like yeah there's a narcissistic component but also there's something you, you can do with it and even though like yes in with the backdrop of death everything is futile yeah right but then there's also this journey and this narrative and when I think a lot of times we get obsessed with the numbers, uh, especially in Western culture, the numbers, how many quantifiable people are we helping? And you just remember that's a person's life. My dad talks about, uh, my dad was born in 1947. He's an African-American man, St. Louis, um, very racist time. And he talks about all the people who made small impacts on his life. He went on to be a, a, a sergeant in um, the Marine Corps, finished in UCLA in two and a half years, became an excellent trial attorney, then a corporate attorney, then ended up moving to London, Hong Kong, all this stuff, right? But there were people who made an impact in his life. Yeah. And I think it, it's easy. It, that's one of the things I want to think about is how I can reach those people. And it's not all altruistic. I'm not so fucking Gandhi yeah. or whatever. You also wasn't that good <laughs> because he's a human. Yeah. And, 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 uh, right. and, and I don't want to take away from his story. There's great parts of his story. But I don't, I, one of the things I dislike, and I wrote this on my core answer today, was um, it was how do you get rid of negative thinking? I said, I don't get rid of negative thinking. You don't? Thinking. No. 100%. It, it, I, I said, all your thoughts are, are things for your mind to play with. Yep. And so play with the negative. Just, just don't let them rule you. 100%. And, 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 but like by trying to pretend like, dude, this world isn't perfect. And it, by acting like the blemishes aren't there, you're only doubling down on the fact that you'll never be okay with them. And you're ignoring reality, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and what is the reality in that situation? The reality is, like, I have a thought. And that's it. And that's all you can really say about it. I have a thought. I am experiencing it as unpleasant. It seems to me to be negative, And it arose after this thing happened. Yeah. Right? That is an objective viewpoint of what you're experiencing. Yeah. Right? And that's... that. You're not going to have many people argue with you about whether or not that is true. No. Right? It's just true. I, I am thinking right yep. now. Yeah. So you just sit with that thought. Now I want to ask you about celebrity, like two things. What are what is it? You know, you thought about being at the zenith of your law career, and you said that's not going to make me happy. When you think about being famous, what are the things that make you think that you're going to be happy? And second of all, when are you famous? When am I famous? Yeah. So so it's um the. The degree of fame that I want is to be able to basically um, do things my way and um, not not like uh, like a Miley Cyrus or uh, Justin Bieber, Joe Rogan, Ru- uh, maybe not Russell Brand level in the UK, but Russell Brand in America, um, uh, where I can get opportunities to do things uh, to reach a lot of people relatively easy. Um, that I don't have to work hard for people to validate what I have to say okay. or to follow it or retweet it. Or not, and I'm not just saying retweet in a malicious sense. It's like some, some Instagram model uh, retweeted uh, her boyfriend had a small penis. And um, that got like 7,000 retweets, right? Or something. Or some, it was actually a larger, a more egregious number than that. And like, uh, you know, I think celebrity is wasted on celebrities. Yeah. Um, um, and I, I would like... I, 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 I would like this conversation. Do you, I think this was has a lot of value in this conversation, and um, it would be really cool if that could reach more people. So I agree, hundred percent. Yeah. Everything that I have to say needs to be heard by everyone. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> dude, and um, and but like I think in terms of fame, God Emperor, God Emperor. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't really know. Um, and I, I don't. I am incredibly joyful right now, 
And so I can't imagine it being that much better than yeah. what I feel right now. But uh, I, I don't know. It feels uh, really, really just I could live anywhere, you know, do, do anything. Do you think that Joe Rogan feels uh, like there's less friction for him to get his message out? Mm-hmm. Or do you think that he feels still like he's fighting to get people to, to really listen? No. He, so think- he, I was listening to him talk to Neil Brennan. Okay. And he's like, dude, I'm the, one of the happiest son of bitches you'll ever yeah. meet. He's like, I feel so much joy on the day to day. I get to talk with cool fucking people for a job. I get to go up and talk on stage. I get to train martial arts and I get to talk about martial arts. You think he's, that's the drugs? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's that he takes a lot of time to reflect. Yeah. I think he, he, he's very purposeful in, in who he talks with and who he breaks bread with. I think there's a, a, a humbling of stand up and martial arts um, that most people. You know, I used to power lift, and I'm you're humbled by the weights, yeah. right? Um, I and with stand up, I'm humbled. Like, no, I, 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 am, I murdered uh, on Wednesday. I had a really great compliment. And all this, I'm gonna bomb soon. Like, and like that's it's, it's not it's not if it's gonna happen. It's it's just when. I view stand up comedy as a form of renunciation. Oh yeah. Because when you step on stage, you are literally saying, <laughs> the outcome doesn't matter. Because if you if you make the outcome matter when oh, you go yeah. out on stage, holy shit! They, one of the things that, you're gonna break down. Um, so I had a joke. Uh, there's a mic called Dope Meets Fresh. Have you ever done it? Um, and Emerald City Coffee, and um, it was I I don't know. I think you talked. I talked to you while I was on my streak of trying to do 367 consecutive days, and I was on like day 340 or something, right? And at this point, my my head is in a weird headspace, um, and I do a joke. Uh, and it bombs really bad. And it bombed really bad that time. It bombed bad enough to where I went home that night and I teared up. Yeah. Um, and um, that caused me to write down on a sheet of paper everything that means more to me than stand-up. Yeah. And, um, and there were a lot of things that meant more to me than stand-up. And I, I realized part of the reason why I was bombing in the way that I was and why it was hitting me is like, when people can tell that you need them to laugh, like, have you ever been on a date and you've been crushing and she have been making the girl laugh and then all of a sudden she stops laughing and then you need the laugh and all of a sudden you can tell there's like a, like a, a subtle disgust in her face because you're trying to like, get the laugh from yeah. her, you know? And, um, and um, that experience has made me so much easier on stage. And it, it, it's kind of like, I'm sharing this with you. I'm not trying to make you do anything. Yeah. And um, yeah, and that joke, by the way, that joke got a fucking applause break two weeks later at my show. So fuck everybody in that room. <laughs> and, and like this is the thing also, and I think part of uh, in this is like, you know, and I talk with you on a very even keel level. It's also the, the ego component of stand-up. You need ego to, the thing is, and to play this game in this Western concept, in this Western marketplace, you need ego. You need ego to basically put you on a platform to go out and strive for these opportunities. But here's the thing: is you also need to know that your ego is a fucking joke, and it will never be satisfied. Yeah. It will. Like I keep telling um, one of my co-producers, called me after the show, had 150 people come out, doing phenomenal. We're we're getting shoutouts by like people like Chris Red and things like that. Like you know, like big things. Like and and, man, like we gotta do this. And I'm like, dude, don't. And like he's worrying about problems that are four months in the future and the what ifs, the what ifs. And I tell him, dude, don't let your ego rob you of this moment. Yeah. Think about your circle of concerns. Think about how grateful we should be for our circle of concerns. And don't stay there, but just appreciate it. And I think the thing is, wisdom is not laws that are rigidly written. It's just knowing what to do when. And there's a time for anything, and especially when you're playing a certain game. Always know what game you're playing, but never let that game play you. 
like I'm playing the stand-up game, but to me, I've had opportunities that I had to say no to because they were with people yeah. that um, morally I just knew some stuff about them and I just didn't want to. And uh, I was like, well, well, what would someone who's trying to be a famous stand-up comedian do? I was like, I'd probably take that opportunity, but what does someone who's trying to be a good person do? Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, your values and you meeting your values is the most important thing. You know, and I think a lot of the reason why a lot of those people, if we went up in Chicago and was like, "Hey, get rid of all your stuff, we'll make you happy," their values aren't even there, and so it'd be, it'd be their their identity. They're so deep in that game that in order for them to disengage and say, "Yeah, your items are actually worthless, and you really need a lot less," just will disrupt so much of their reality yeah. that 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 they they wouldn't be able for you. It was a process. And I think we're all on that process, right? You're farther along on this process than me. Whenever I move in, uh, whenever I go to Edinburgh and all this stuff and I get rid of everything and move to New York, I'm going to be more on my process. There are going to be, and I'm going to be deeper in it. I'll have a deeper knowledge. And all I can say, man, is when you let go of that stuff, take, just like you told your buddy on the show, just sit there, take a moment and feel that those shackles have come off. Yeah. Right? That like, you have everything that you need first off you can have an immense amount of gratitude mm-hmm. for the fact that you have everything that you need in order to continue living continue pursuing whatever you know search for meaning you have uh, and that everything else that was holding you know things hold you back mm-hmm. they really do because you can't like if you think of this stuff as yours mm-hmm. You can't let go of it. You no. can't leave it behind. You can't just walk away from this apartment, right? The second I stopped thinking of my bed as mine and it was just a bed, I just left. I just walked out and probably my roommates were super pissed that I just left my bed there, Yeah. right? But I just, I just walked away from it. I was like, you know, I don't even need the money from this, thankfully, yeah. right? And so I'm not going to waste my time with it because it's not even mine. I'm just letting it go. Right. One of the things I want to say on this, and I think this is such a fucking interesting train of thought, is that's why with the whole my girlfriend thing, that that thing, like I get so many questions on Quora because I've talked about how like I am I am a big proponent of non-committal relationships, especially in your twenties. You're meeting so many different people, and then people are like, dude, but like you know, or, or like whenever I get questions about like guys being jealous or things like that, I'm like, the thing is, what you're scared of is her impermanence in your life. Yeah. But the thing is, she's not always going to be there. And the fact that you classify her as my doesn't mean that anything. She can walk away. She can die. She can get sick. She can get ugly. Like all the you think you think her getting ugly it won't matter. Like yeah. you know, uh, and <laughs> that's a whole other. Kind of, and it's not just that she can. You have to recognize that she will. will. Right? Because we all get yeah. ugly. Yep. Right. We all. I I saw you know Don Rickles died recently. And he was never a good-looking guy. Yeah. But I saw his, like, one of his last interviews with Dan Rather, and he was looking rough. Mm. He was sounding rough. Mm. You know, it it was, I mean, there is a certain just human reaction to seeing death and, you know, seeing someone who's dying and kind of, uh, you get sick to your stomach a little bit. And part of that is just the knowledge that that, that's going to be me. Mm -hmm. If If I'm lucky. lucky. If I'm lucky. That's exactly what I was just going to say. If you're, like Louis C.K. said, you know, literally best case scenario that could ever happen in your entire life is you find a person that you are madly in love with, you spend the rest of your life with them madly in love, right? So you never have to search anymore. And then 
one of you dies. Mm-hmm. That's the best case scenario, yeah. right? And uh, just realizing that we're, we've come back, you know, full circle to that whole re- the truth of death. Yeah. Right. It's it's gonna happen. Man. It's gonna happen. Yeah. Oh. And so why why be jealous? Why 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 waste? It's your not yours to begin with. And, and and don't shame yourself. One of the most powerful things my dad ever told me was um I it used to, I was such a jealous person uh, when it came down to girls and um he said son don't shame it don't shame it because he said that the reason why it's hitting you like this is you're shaming the emotion you can't admit you can't even say that you're jealous right now. Yep. He just said say it out loud I'm jealous I care. <laughs> yep. And and that's like the, the thing the first thing you're gonna do is laugh yeah I care um. And, you know, I'm scared that they'll like someone more than me or that, that they won't be around forever or that, you know, they might realize that they're better than me or that I secretly don't des- believe I deserve them and I'm scared that they'll realize it. And that kind, of, that kind of honesty can only be brought about when you don't have shame guarding it. Yeah. The interesting thing that I always think about with jealousy, especially in the context of relationships, is that, like, you worry about the person liking someone more than you right and there's definitely the possibility that that would happen and if it does happen the jealous mind still wants to keep that person in the relationship but how shitty of a relationship is the one where the person likes someone else yeah it's a terrible relationship uh, you don't want that don't the mind want... should the mind should recoil and push away mm-hmm. that thing that doesn't want to be in this relationship exactly. and instead it holds on to it well, the and thing, it feels terrible well the thing is is cuz we build an idea. so i i'm working on some material where it's like the reason i want to, i'm spending the next 5 years not going to be in a relationship and only in stand up is because i don't want to get my phd in a person and then them just walk away, yeah. right? Because the thing is, is what people are actually afraid of is they don't know who they are when they're not in the relationship. You have this, and you have this shared experience. Like, dude, like the thing is, is how many actions I make towards stand-up only continues to validate that I'm a comedian. How many actions you make towards another person only shows that that person is an inextricable part of yourself. And can you imagine eight years in that shit? Eight, eight years, you don't know who you are not in relation to this person. You, they are in your profile pic. And so that's the 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 the, the identity is like it's it's like a purpose thing. It's like what, what what would I do even? It's like it's like working at a job where they don't want you to work there, but you're like I have tenure, like you know, please. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and um, exactly right. And I think I look at everything. And I've used this game analogy over and over again, but it's a social game. It's a game that we're playing with someone. And the thing is, with almost every game, if you play with someone long enough, it gets boring. Yeah, and it's okay. Like you know, sometimes we have commitment there. Sometimes you have to learn how to play a new game like the thing is the more interests you have in common the more different games you can play but eventually it's gonna get boring the and whole the whole game concept never really hit me until I started doing improv mm. right where every they call everything a game right it's yep. all improv games and as I sat in imp, like my improv class I thought holy shit this is just life. all that we're doing is life right that's all improv is and that's kind of what makes it like kind of a, a lot of people say a lame medium, mm-hmm. right? Or a lot of people think that improv is lame. And the reason why is because you're just getting up and doing life, yep. right? On stage. And life is funny pretty easily, right? Uh, and so I realized that it was a game and I started talking to myself. My, my internal monologue started incorporating that in. And I was at work and I was like, I don't want to play this game anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I'm tired of this game. And that's when I decided to quit. It's like, I really, I just don't want to play anymore. It's like Monopoly and it's been going on way, way too long. Yeah. Right? 
And like, yeah, I just didn't want to play. Yeah. Until I stopped. And then you stopped. And I did. And that's it. Yeah. It's a, it's a board game that someone, I have a YouTube video on it that love is like a game of Monopoly. And like the thing is, is that it ends. Yeah. It, it ends. And when usually way after it should have ended. Like no one wants to be there anymore. You've lost all your property. Exactly. Only the male players. Um, <laughs> but um, no, it, it does end. And um, I think the improvs also showed me that as well. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. It, it happened to me whenever one of my friends was like, I, I did my first um, improv jam and he's like, and like, it was weird. Like I, I tried to present gifts and everything and they just didn't want to play with me. Yeah. And, and, and he said, dude, they just, um, they didn't want to play with you. And I thought, that's exactly that. Whenever people don't want to talk with you, they just don't want to play with that's you. That's exactly. They right. don't want to play that game. Then, then it just like start compounding, compounding, yep. and then, um, and then I just realized all. Oh, and uh, I will leave off with this: is um, a story about Maya. My sister's name is Maya. I'll, I'll tag her on this one. Uh, check out her thing, Maya Photography on Instagram. I'll link it below. And um, but it was like in the beginning, there's Brahman, and um, and he's bored, so he creates Maya. And Maya's like, "Do you want to play a game?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." And she cuts him up into trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of pieces. Said, "This is the game that you will go on thinking that you are truly uh, separate, only to find out that you are one." Yeah. And um, I thought, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right, man. That's right. We are the galaxy. We are the universe. Not the universe out there. We're in it. Like that's yeah. that, that, just because you can de- declare separation doesn't mean you're not part of it. Hundred percent. But um, is there anything you want to plug, man? Uh, just you know, I've been trying to share like my learnings in buddhism and meditation with people anybody who's like interested in learning more about it like i'd encourage them to reach out to me i can have you tag me on the post and yeah stuff. definitely i'd love to like interact with anybody who's interested in learning more definitely i've put in hundreds of hours you know i figure i should probably start sharing it so. definitely have you thought about doing a youtube channel yeah yeah, yeah. Dude, definitely. Well, it's, if you let me know whenever you start it, and I'll link it below. Awesome. De- definitely. Good, this man. is one of my favorite episodes, guys. Awesome. As also, like, follow, share, subscribe. Uh, check out my or my YouTube channel, Lazy Philosopher, and then also, guys, um, follow me on Twitter because I need it. As comedians, we're judged on that. My joke this week was, um, uh, I think um, I told my friend I found the path to enlightenment. He was like, "What meditation?" And I was like, "Nah, suicide." So if you want more existential nihilistic uh, uh, pseudo-Buddhist stuff, check out my uh, uh, Twitter. Anyway, Godspeed and good night.